Go ahead and go to Colossians chapter 2 this morning. Colossians chapter 2. I want to deal with what I think is an important subject this morning and one that I hope will be a help to you. I'm going to kind of look at an issue that can kind of get confusing sometimes. There's a lot of different ideas out there about what I'm going to be talking about. And I'm hoping to show you kind of what I guess our philosophy is around here and show you too that I'm pretty sure it lines up with the Bible what we're talking about. And I want to talk about New Testament ordinances. New Testament ordinances. We teach here that we believe there's two ordinances that God has given to the local church. We believe those are water baptism and communion. The Lord's Supper. Those are the two ordinances we practice here at this church. We do not believe those things save you. We do not believe getting baptized saves anybody. We don't believe taking the Lord's Supper saves anybody. We do not believe that the Lord's Supper, you know, that turns into the literal blood and body of Jesus Christ. We do not teach that, but we do believe they are symbolic things, and we believe they're very important. And sadly, these two things that I believe are very important, there's a lot of different teaching out there in different churches. Some people teach that you have to do it to go to heaven. I do not believe that's the case. And then there's other people uh, like us that teach that you don't have to do it to go to heaven. But then because you don't have to do it to go to heaven, some people think, well, it's not that big of a deal. It's not that important. And some people, maybe they put too much importance on it. Some people don't put enough. And I think if we, if we look at the Bible and see clearly what these two things mean, it can really help us have the right attitude concerning these things and, and the right kind of understanding. And so in Colossians chapter 2, I want to start out with this passage because we actually see some uh, teaching in here against ordinances. And we there is a lot of teaching in the New Testament against ordinances. And many people, there's, uh, there's certain types of people out there that teach that the Lord's Supper and baptism, it was a temporary thing that God gave to the church. And they will use a lot of the teaching in the Bible uh, against ordinances. And they will include baptism and the Lord's Supper in there. And I'm going to show you how that's not the case. There are, there are New Testament ordinances and there are Old Testament ordinances. And we're going to show you what the differences are in those things. And I, I'm hoping that this will be a big help to you. But Colossians chapter 2, verse 8, it says, "...beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. For in Him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily." And ye are complete in Him, which is the head of all principality and power, in whom also ye are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, in putting off the body of sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Circumcision, that was an Old Testament ordinance. That was an ordinance that God gave in the Old Testament that we do not practice today. Here it clearly says that we have been circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. It's a spiritual thing. So we don't practice that anymore. God clearly finished the Old Testament ordinances. And what Paul's talking about here, there was people that were trying to bring them back and make them a part of the church. This is a reference to Old Testament ordinances, not New Testament ones. Verse 12, it says, um, "...buried with Him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with Him through the faith of the operation of God who hath raised Him from the dead." Okay, we've been baptized. When, when you get saved, you get baptized spiritually. Okay, everyone who is saved has been baptized spiritually. But not everybody that's saved has been baptized physically. 
you know, through a water baptism. And so people will say, you know, that baptism that went on in the Old Te- or in the New Testament, in the Book of Acts, that was a temporary thing. But that is not the case. All right, that is. Uh, we're going to show you these things still apply today, even though there is a spiritual baptism that happens when you get saved. And everybody, uh, if you've not been baptized spiritually, you are not going to heaven. That means you've not been saved. You've not been born again. But then verse thirteen. And you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath He quickened together with Him, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to His cross. And having spoiled principalities and powers, He made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of any holy day, or of the new moon, or of the Sabbath days. All these Old Testament ordinances, the holidays, the Passover, the Sabbath day, the not eating pork, all those things, those were Old Testament ordinances that God finished. That Jesus Christ, He finished them. He nailed them to His cross. We are not subject to those ordinances anymore. You can deny yourself pork and all that stuff all you want. You're not making yourself any more spiritual because of that. It is absolutely unnecessary. Verse 17, "...which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. Let no man beguile you of your reward in any voluntary humility, worshiping of angels, intruding into those things which he hath not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind, and not holding the head from which all the body by joints and bands having nourishment ministered, and knit together increaseth with the increase of God." Wherefore, if ye be dead with Christ from the rudiments of the world, why as though living in the world are ye subject to ordinances? Touch not, taste not, handle not, which, are, which all are to perish with the using after the commandments and doctrines of men, which things have indeed a show of wisdom and will worship and humility and neglecting of the body, not in any honor to the satisfying of the flesh. So right here we see a verse where it tells us not to be subject to ordinances. And people will take that and they will say, we shouldn't have any ordinances in the church. These things are over. There was a temporary time when God had them in the church, but we are now in a new age, a new dispensation as a term that they will use. And we don't do these things anymore. But I'm going to show you that clearly that the ordinances that he's talking about here, these are specifically Old Testament ordinances that are complete. And the New Testament ordinance of baptism and the Lord's Supper are separate things that we are still supposed to be doing today. It very clearly says, too, the Lord's Supper. I mean, we do that until Jesus comes back. We're going to keep taking the Lord's Supper until Jesus returns. Baptism is a one-time thing that we do. We only have to do that one time after we're saved. But I want to show you and prove to you from the Scriptures that we are still supposed to be doing these things and why we do them and their importance. And so, one thing we need to realize, go ahead and turn over to Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 1. Old Testament ordinances, they all involve service or works. Okay, It was a work. It was something that you had to do. It was a, it was a physical thing that had to take place that you had to do and the New Testament ordinances, all of all two of them, they are a picture of the work of Christ. We're going to see we're not really doing anything by getting baptized. There's, you know, you getting dunked underwater, that's not impressive. That's no great work. Okay? You taking the Lord's Supper, that is not 
an impressive thing. That is not some accomplishment that you have done. Okay, Those things are pictures of the work of Christ. The accomplishment that He did. Look at what it says in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 1. It says, "...then verily the first covenant had also ordinances of divine service and a worldly sanctuary." For there was a tabernacle made the first wherein was the candlestick and the table and the showbread which is called the sanctuary. And after the second veil, the tabernacle which is called the holiest of all which had the golden censer and the ark of the covenant overlaid round about with gold wherein was the golden pot that had the manna and Aaron's rod that budded and the tables of the covenant. And over it the cherubims of glory shadowing the mercy seat of which we cannot now speak particularly. Now when these things were thus ordained, the priests went always into the first tabernacle accomplishing the service of God, but into the second went the high priest alone once every year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the heirs of the people. The Holy Ghost this signifying that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest while as the first tabernacle was yet standing. Okay, The Old Testament practices that they had it wasn't a different way that they had back then. It wasn't another way of salvation. It was, but what it was, it was kind of a stepping stone to until God revealed the real plan. They didn't understand grace like we do today and faith like we do today because it had not been revealed yet. But it was always God's plan to save people through the blood of Jesus Christ. That's crystal clear throughout the Bible. It was just not yet manifest to them. They didn't understand what they were doing. All those things they did, they were a picture of Jesus Christ and what He was going to do. Verse 9, "...which was a figure for the time then present in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make Him that did the service perfect as pertaining to the conscience." All those ordinances they did did not wash their sins away. Okay, The blood of bulls and goats can't wash sins away. And all those ordinances they did, they could not cleanse them from their sins. But God still told them to do it. As a picture, it was a way to kind of reveal the true plan eventually, which stood not only in meats and drinks and divers washings and cardinal ordinances imposed on them until the time of reformation, but Christ being come in high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands. That is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by His own blood He entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of an heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctified to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without spot to God purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. And for this cause, He is the mediator of the New Testament and by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the First Testament, which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. So notice those first works, it says they were earthly. They were, they were carnal. They involved service. They involved an earthly tabernacle. Okay, They were all earthly things. Okay? But then, when Jesus Christ came, we see these New Testament ordinances that we have. They are a picture of what Jesus Christ did. Okay, The baptism. That is symbolic of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We stand there. We're in the water. Okay, And then we say, buried, 
in the likeness of His death. Okay, in the likeness and raised in the likeness of His resurrection. What that's a picture of that person that's standing in the water that has not gone under yet. They are a picture, I guess you could say, of that dead man, that man who is dead in their trespasses and sins. But then they go and they're buried like Christ, and then they are raised from the dead. All that happened when you got saved. Jesus Christ resurrected you spiritually, and that baptism, it's a public confession of that. What we are basically saying when we get baptized, not look at me, not watch me get saved because I'm getting dunked in the water because I'm doing some great work. There's nothing impressive about that. My dad used to dunk me underwater in the pool when I was a kid. It didn't save me. It didn't accomplish anything. It's none of that. That's not impressive. You're not doing some great thing. It's a picture. What Basically, we're saying, hey, I'm going to heaven today because of Jesus Christ. Because of His death, burial, and resurrection. What we are doing, we are pointing the finger to Jesus Christ when we get baptized. It is a picture of His work, not our work. Romans 4 or 5 says, But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him, that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Some people say that believing God is a work. No, it's not. There's people out there that teach that if you're saved, it's just because God picked you and God saved you. God did everything because you can't even believe because that's a work and it's not a works. But the Bible says to him that worketh not, but believeth. So believing is not a work. Okay, I did not do any work to get myself saved. Well, you believe. The Bible says that's not a work. That's not a work of righteousness. That's not a work of the law. Okay, that's just that's a repentance. That's a change of mind. Okay, I didn't believe. Now I do believe. That's what repentance is. That's and that's where salvation comes from. And the Bible says that is not a work. Okay. The work of salvation was by Jesus Christ. The Old Testament ordinances involved service or work, while New Testament ordinances, they are a picture of the work of Christ. Okay, When we take that grape juice, that is a picture of the blood of Jesus Christ. Why, do we, why are we going to picture that? Because it's His blood that cleanses us from our sins. It's not our works that cleanses us from sin. It's His blood that cleanses us from sin. That, that bread, it's a picture of the body of Christ which was broken for us. His body, I mean, it was it went it was horrible what was done to him physically, and that was done in payment for our sins. And when we take that bread and we take that juice, well we are we're saying we are a part of the body of Christ. We are a part of him. We are part, we are going to heaven because of his work and what he did, not what we did. The Old Testament ordinances, they involved a worldly sanctuary. We see that in verse one, a worldly sanctuary, while the New Testament ordinances involve a spiritual sanctuary, which is the body of Christ. We see here that we are a part of the body of Christ. Now, are we speaking physically or spiritually here? We're speaking spiritually, aren't we? Obviously, Jesus Christ is not here in the flesh, but we the Bible refers to the church, the assembly, as the body of Christ. Well, obviously, that's not literal. Obviously, that's spiritually speaking. Okay? We are citizens of Israel, we see in the Bible. Okay? How many in here, how many has ever been to Israel? Alright, I've been to Israel, but I wasn't born there. I don't live there, but spiritually, we're citizens of Israel. We see that in Ephesians chapter 2. Okay? Spiritually speaking, and when a person gets baptized, takes the Lord's Supper, there is nothing physical that happens there. It's all, it's all spiritual. What happens there? In the Old Testament, 
Okay, if you were going to do the sacrifices, if you were going to go to the sanctuary and do all those things, you physically had to be from the nation of Israel. You physically had to descend from Abraham or from Jacob, from one of those twelve tribes. And that's why in Colossians 2, it says blotting out those handwriting of ordinances that was against us. Why was it against us? Well, because we're Gentiles. Because we don't descend from Jacob. So how could we take part in those things? Well, because we are a part of that family spiritually, the Bible says. Nothing we can brag about. We can't brag about our ancestry. None of us are going to heaven because of where we come from physically. None of us are saved because our parents were saved or because of just our, our lineage. Okay? Well, spiritually is the only thing that matters there. But when it came to Old Testament ordinances, it was all about where you came from. It was all about physically. Moabites, they were not allowed into the sanctuary to the tenth generation. So what if you're a, if you're a Moabite? You're in trouble. But that's not the case with New Testament ordinances. Anybody that gets saved, anybody who, that's why only saved people can do these things. Okay? Because you do have to be a part of a lineage. You have to be of Abraham. But that's spiritually speaking. Well, how do we become of Abraham spiritually? Like Abraham, we have to believe God. By Like Abraham, we have to have faith. And those that do are of the household, are the seed of Abraham, the Bible teaches. And therefore, we are qualified to get baptized, to take the Lord's Supper, to take those ordinances because spiritually speaking, we are of those things, but anybody can be a part of that. None of us get to brag on it. Anybody in here have any famous ancestors you've ever found that you, know, you, that you can be proud of? You know, you, you, I, you know, I was related to George Washington. You, know, that, you ever hear people brag about their lineage and they think they're so great because of it? You know, we all hate that, especially when we don't know if we got anybody famous in our lineage. You know, we get we get jealous or whatever. I had some people that told me they were related. They were related to literally everybody. They even traced their lineage back to Abraham. That's what they told me, and I, of course I didn't believe them. Uh, they you know they were related to Obama, Bush. I mean they they, they you know uh, Prince Charles. I mean they're naming all these famous people. They figured out how they're related to them, and I'm just thinking. First of all, I won't even brag about any of those people. But second of all, I just I don't believe you. And I asked them how they knew that, and their dad pointed up in the attic. He's up there 16 hours a day studying genealogies, and it's because they're Mormons, and Mormons are really into that. And uh, it, it was weird. But you know what? Thank God, none of that stuff matters physically. It doesn't matter where we came from. I mean, Adolf Hitler. You might you know you might be related to Adolf Hitler. It doesn't matter. You can still be saved. You know, think of the worst person you know in history. You could still be saved. You could still be a part of the seed of Abraham spiritually, because the New Testament ordinances are spiritual. Hebrews nine ten, which stood only in meats and drinks and divers washing, and carnal ordinances imposed on them until the time of the Reformation. All of those ordinances that they had, they were they were carnal, they were fleshly, they were physical. But the ones that we have today, they're spiritual. So these aren't these aren't great accomplishments. These aren't anything we can brag on. Anybody who is saved can do these things. The carnal ordinances of the Old Testament they were very meticulous. If you go back and you read, you know, the book of Leviticus and you read some of these practices and things they had to do, they were I mean they were very detailed. It took a great deal of work, and they had to do it right. And if they didn't do it right, they could die. If they didn't do it right, they could get in big trouble. Remember Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, they offered strange fire. What did that mean? It meant 
they didn't do the process right. And you know what? The fire came out of the altar and it consumed them. Aren't we glad that we don't have to worry about stuff like that? You know, because we didn't do it, you know, we didn't do it exactly right. I mean, it's amazing the things people complain about. You know, our baptistry that we have, I, I'm thankful for this too. I don't have to get in it when I baptize somebody. And there's people that think that's wrong. Why do you think that? You know, what, what? John the Baptist, he was down in the water with people. But I'm going to show you a little bit too. The, bad, the thing about baptism is that it's, it's all about convenience. All these things are all about convenience. People are trying, they, they try to make baptism and the Lord's Supper complicated, which defeats the purpose of what those things are. They are extremely simple things, which is proof that they are something different than what the Bible is speaking against in the New Testament. Those carnal ordinances, they were tough. They were, they were, uh, they were very difficult where ours are simple and convenient. Okay? And they do. They, they make a huge deal on the baptism. Well, we see in the Bible that Jesus was baptized in the Jordan River, and so I think we ought to baptize people in rivers. Well, wow, aren't you spiritual? But you know what? You know why they did it in rivers? You know, some people too. I mean, you know, nowadays not so much. But there was a time the old timers they complained when people started putting baptistries in the church. Oh, we've always gone down to the creek, or we've always gone down to the lake and baptized people there. You know, and did it that way. When Jesus got baptized in the river, he didn't get baptized in no baptistry. Well, if they would have had baptistries in the synagogue, I think Jesus would have done it there. I think it would have been it would have been fine. But I'm look at John chapter three verse twenty three. It says in John also was baptizing in Anon near to Salem. Why? Because there was much water there and they came and were baptized. You know why they got baptized in that Jordan River? There was a spot where there was much water. What does that mean? Well, if you've got to dunk somebody underwater, it helps to have a good amount of water. You don't want to do it in a puddle. Okay? You don't want to do it in a bathtub. It's hard to get a whole body underwater in those things. And here's a spot. Hey, there's a bunch of water here. We can get people all the way underwater here. So that was why they did it in the river. So if you want to do it in a lake, if you want to do it in a pond, you want to do it in a swimming pool. Whatever's convenient, they were doing what was convenient. In Acts chapter 8, verse 36, Philip, he's been preaching to this eunuch. And they went on their way and they came to a certain water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? Hey, there, and if you read that story, they were out in a desert. Okay, they were out in a desert, and so baptizing is not real convenient. Now, if sprinkling was allowed, that would have been fine. I guarantee you, somebody was carrying water. Philip could have went and taken the water, and he could have blessed it and did all the you know hocus pocus that they do, and then just sprinkled some on him. But no, it is immersion. Okay, it's a picture of burial, and. Go out to the cemetery. They don't just sprinkle dirt on people, and I thank God for that. What do they do? They bury them. They put them all the way under, and that's a blessing. All right. And the thing in baptism, it's the same thing there. You go under, and here's here's a body of water. All right, let's do it. Let's get baptized. And so, a baptistry, it's the most convenient thing in the world to do. Aren't you glad we don't have to go cut ice out of the river? or a lake and get that cold water and do it that way. Thank the Lord we have running water and we are able to put a baptistry in our church making it convenient to practice a simple ordinance that's a picture of the work of Christ. We don't need to turn it into this great big work that we have to do to accomplish salvation. That defeats the purpose. That makes no sense. Jesus Christ did the work. We just need to just basically... Do the, you know, confess it. 
And we do that publicly through baptism. It's a way of pointing to Jesus Christ and His work. His death, burial, and resurrection. The Old Testament ordinances, they were for a physical nation. We mentioned that. Okay? It was for Israel. Not just anybody could go and do the sacrifices. Not just anybody could go into the temple. We see, if you go back in the Old Testament, only the Levites were allowed to go into the temple, into certain parts of the temple, and into the Holy of Holies that it mentioned where the Ark of the Covenant was, only the high priest could go in there once a year. And the Bible doesn't tell us this exactly. Uh, we get a lot of this from history, but the Bible does tell us that, Aaron, that the high priest wore bells around the hem of his garment when he would go in there. And the Bible doesn't tell us why, but according to history, they say the reason that they did that, they would tie a rope around them because if they went in the Holy of Holies and they didn't do everything right, they would die. Well, then nobody wants to go in there to get them out because then they're going to die too. So they, if they heard those bells stop ringing, then they pulled the rope and they dragged the corpse out. Man, aren't you glad we don't do it like that? Aren't you glad when we get baptized... If we don't do it exactly right, if our heart's not right, or if we didn't really get saved, that when we get baptized, we come up still, you know, dead, <laughs> literally dead. You know, you die if you don't do it right. We don't have to worry about that, Why? Right? Because it's not about us. If we, if there was something like that that could happen, then it would baptism would now become about us and us being worthy. But that has nothing to do with it. It is all about Jesus Christ. And go to Ephesians chapter two, and verse eleven. Ephesians chapter two, verse eleven. I made reference to this, but I want to show it to you in the scriptures. Ephesians two eleven says, "In whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of Him who worketh all things after the counsel of His own will, that we should be to the praise of His glory, who first trusted in Christ, and whom ye also trusted after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation." in whom also, after that ye believed, were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of His glory. Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation unto the knowledge of Him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope of His calling and what the riches of His glory of His inheritance in the saints. Notice it keeps mentioning that inheritance that we have coming. Okay? Something that's been promised to us. And we see there that uh, we have the earnest of that. Okay? How do we know we're, we've got an inheritance coming? God gave us an, kind of an earnest payment, you could say. He gave us the Holy Spirit of promise. That is what God gave us when we saved and eventually, we are going to have. We're going to have all things. We're going to, have, and we see in Ephesians. That was I was reading Ephesians chapter one, where it's talking about the earnest. But then in Ephesians chapter two, is where it mentions that uh, in time past we were called Gentiles according to the flesh, or we are called the uncircumcision according to the flesh by the circumcision. But the Bible says now. Okay, God, Jesus Christ, He broke that middle wall of partition down. And now all those things that were against us, He abolished them. Okay, He abolished them. They no longer apply. And we now 
can be a part of that nation of Israel. We now can receive the inheritance. It is coming our way. And thank God for that. And so we see that baptism, because it is a spiritual thing and not a physical thing, that is why baptism, it's an individual expression that nobody can make for you. Think about that. If baptism is us confessing that Jesus Christ saved us, okay, that we are saved because of Jesus Christ, then only you can make that decision. Okay? That's why we don't do infant baptism. That's why we do not believe in infant baptism. A baby cannot make that choice themselves. And nobody can make it for you. Nobody is going to heaven because of who their parents are. I can't... I can't save my kids. My kids are not going to go to heaven because they're my kids. My kids aren't going to go to heaven because I'm saved, because their mom's saved. They have to get saved themselves. They have to come to a time and a place in their life where they believe in the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. And that is the only thing that can save them. They're not getting in on my coattails. And there are people that believe like that too. And if it had anything to do with where you came from, biologically, then that would mean there would be basically saved races of people and lost races of people. And that makes no sense at all. That goes against everything we read in Ephesians. I wish we had time to read all the verses that talk about that. But we see Jesus Christ broke that wall down. doesn't matter where you come from. You can be saved. And once again, those ordinances, the New Testament ordinances, they are for a spiritual people, not a physical people. And someone who has not come to the saving faith yet cannot take these ordinances. Uh, They should not be baptized. They should not take the Lord's Supper. That is something for those who are saved. Just like the Old Testament ordinances were only for Israel, the New Testament ordinances are only for spiritual Israel. For for saved people. And so, we've we've got to make sure that we understand that. So, it is. It's an individual expression. Nobody can make it for you. We don't baptize infants here. Okay? It's not going to do them a bit of good. The only thing it's going to accomplish is they're going to get an extra bath. All right? And that's the, mom and dad can give them a bath at home. Uh, we don't need to do that here. That's not what the baptistry is for. So, the question comes up then why is it so important to do these ordinances all right, if you don't have to do them to go to heaven? And that's what happens. Oh, I don't have to get baptized. All right, I just I just wanted to get to heaven. I mean, there's people like that. They'll come to church. You know, maybe they heard about hell or something. I don't want to go to hell. What do I have to do to keep from going to hell? Well, I have to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then, naturally, as Christians trying to fulfill the Great Commission, we're trying to keep all of it. We're going to preach the gospel and baptizing them in the name of the Father, God, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things. We're going to try to do that. If somebody comes to this church and they get saved, we are going to try to teach them to get baptized and we're going to try to teach them to do all things that Jesus commanded. But none of these things... Listen, if you all are here today because you're thinking this is part of the process I've got to do to get to heaven, you wasted your time. You should have stayed home and used the snow as an excuse or whatever. I mean, It's not helping one bit in that area. But at the same time, you should go to church. You should do the good things. You should do the ordinances. So why are these things so important? And the question I just have is, do you want to do the bare minimum? Or do you want the best for your life? Look at what it says in Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 9. Hebrews chapter 6 
in verse 9, says, But beloved, we are persuaded better things of you and things that accompany salvation. Though we thus speak. Not things that bring salvation, but accompany salvation. When somebody gets saved, okay, when God saved you, He's given you some spiritual things. He's given you the Holy Spirit. And there are some things that should accompany that. Okay, If the Holy Spirit moves inside you, that ought to make a difference in your life. That ought to change your life. When somebody gets saved, I fully expect them to be convicted of their sin. I don't expect them to be perfect, but I expect when a person gets saved and they go out and they do some of the sins they had done before they got saved, I expect them to be a lot more convicted than they were before. Why do you expect that? Because they have the Holy Spirit. They have salvation. I expect the chastening hand of God on His children. I expect that. Why? God, For whom the Lord loveth, He chasteneth and scourgeth every son. Me receiveth. I expect that. That accompanies salvation. It is appropriate for us to expect these things. Verse 10, For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love which ye have showed towards His name and that ye have ministered to the saints and do minister. And we desire that every one of you do show the same diligence to the full assurance of the hope unto the end. God, why is He talking about the work? There's a lot of verses in the Bible that talk about our works that we receive rewards for in heaven. Now, why do we receive rewards? Okay? I mean, don't we owe God everything? I mean, He saved us. I mean, we owe Him the rest of our life. We owe Him to serve Him. Well, not technically. If something's free then you don't owe anything, do you? Okay? Now, I understand being grateful, but technically, we do not owe Christ anything for saving us. If we did, then salvation is based on debt. Okay? We, so therefore, if we do good works after we get saved, God is required to reward us for those things. Think about that. If I give you a free gift and then I tell you now you've got to work for me, that wasn't a free gift, was it? Okay, when you go to a bank and you get a loan, that's not a present. They expect you to pay that money back, don't they? Therefore, that is not a gift. That is a loan. And when God gives salvation, it is a free gift. And if He demands us to work for Him because He gave us that free gift, then it wasn't free. But He does want us to work for Him so He can reward us. So He can pay us. And that's exactly what He does when we work for Him. And it is a blessing. It is a wonderful thing. It does pay to serve the Lord. You will benefit from serving God. And you know what? At this church, I don't want us to be here just to give people the bare minimum. I want to give the best. I want to encourage people to have the best. I want the best. And so you know what we're going to do here? We are going to teach people how to get saved, but we're also going to teach them how to be blessed. We're going to teach them how to work for the Lord so they can receive the rewards in heaven. We want the best here for everybody. And us preaching on good works and church attendance and reading your Bible and doing all those things are not so we can go to heaven. Is because we want to be blessed. We want the best that God has to offer us. We're not interested in the bare minimum. If we're just interested in the bare minimum, we can just go out and spend all our time knocking doors and getting people saved and forgetting about them. We gave them the bare minimum. But do we want to give them the bare minimum or do we want to give them the best? And we're going to give the best here. And so we're going to have church and we're going to teach all things whatsoever He commanded. We're going to teach the things that people like. We're going to teach the things that people don't like. Why? Because we want 
the best. And so part of those things to get the best is baptism and the Lord's Supper. Doing those ordinances, keeping those ordinances, that we are going to do those things. The church has every right and is obligated to try to get the best out of people. The same crowd many times that will use some of these passages that we looked at speaking against ordinances, they'll, they'll, those same people, like these trendy churches that are getting away from the ordinances and getting away from you know, New Testament commands, they are the same ones that tell everybody you've got to do everything the government says. And they'll use 1 Peter 2.13, submit yourselves. They'll talk about how bad church ordinances are. And then they'll say, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the King of Supreme or unto governors as unto them that are sent by Him for the punishment of evildoers. Romans 13, verse 1, let every soul be subject to the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resisted the power resisted the ordinance of God. And they that resist shall receive themselves damnation. So we see that not all ordinances are bad. It's the Old Testament ordinances that people do that involve work, that involve an earthly sanctuary. New Testament ordinances are not works. They are not to earn salvation. These things are spiritual. These things are a picture of the work of Christ Not all ordinances are bad, including the world's ordinances. Including Sterling's ordinance. If you live in town, you can't burn stuff. You know, if you live in Sterling in town, you ought to follow that ordinance. I don't like it. Thankfully, I live in the country and we don't have that where we're at. But when I live in town, I couldn't burn stuff and I wanted to and I didn't like that ordinance. But we've got to submit. Why? Because it's of God. Even though man made it up. We see that in the Bible. And you know what? We also see in the Bible the church, okay, and these same people that are all about obeying the ordinances of the world. Don't let the church do anything. You know, don't let the church make any rules for you. Well, you know what? The Bible says in First Corinthians chapter six and verse one. Uh, go go ahead and turn over there. I want to I want to show you this this verse because we see that the church is clearly superior to the world's government. I'm not saying that we get to overrule what they say. Alright? We're supposed to submit as long as they're not getting us to go against the Word of God. But 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1 says, Dare any of you having a matter against another go to law before the unjust and not before the saints? Do you not know that the saints shall judge the world? And if the world shall be judged by you, are ye unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Know ye not that we shall judge angels how much more things that pertain to this life? If then ye have the judgments of things pertaining to this life, set them to judge who are the least esteemed in the church. You know what Paul was saying here in this passage? He said, you take the least esteemed person in the church. In other words, if we were to take a vote and say, who's the sorriest person in this church? All right, And the vote lands on somebody in this church, we would never do that. But if we did, and we picked out one person, that this is the worst Christian that we've got in the church, but we believe they're saved. You know the Bible says you would be better off going to them for judgment? than the lost world, than our judges that we had on the ballot that we voted for this fall, you would be better off going to the least esteemed person in the church than the most loved judge here in town. And we're all fine with them making ordinances for us, but a church can't make rules for themselves. That is as hypocritical as all get out. We're going to judge angels one of these days. Well, we'll be in our glorified state then. Well, Paul said 
we ought to be able to do these things now because we're going to be able to we're going to judge angels then. Right now, the most sorry person in the church ought to be able to do these things. And so you know what? The church it's it's clearly superior. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 11:1, 1, "Be ye followers of me even as I also am of Christ." Now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the ordinances as I delivered them to you. So we see ordinances are not wrong, folks. Ordinances are still a part of the church today. We still practice baptism and the Lord's Supper. Why? Because they are not works. They do not involve getting into heaven. They just point to Jesus Christ and that is our job. And that's what we're going to do. And if you are saved, one of the things that you should do, not to go to heaven, but so you can have God's best for your life, you should get baptized and you should participate in the Lord's Supper. You ought, you ought to do those things. Uh, I don't want to. Okay. You're still going to heaven. Alright? You're still going to heaven. But you know what? You're not going to have God's best here on earth. You should participate in those things. Everyone who is saved should participate in the two ordinances of the local church. These things ought to be very important to us but let's never make the mistake of turning them into a carnal ordinance. And that's what we do. When you tell somebody you have to do this to go to heaven, you've now turned it into something that was never intended to be. You've turned it into a carnal ordinance. That's why we can't do that. The simplicity of these two things, they're so simple. Okay, that We drink a tiny bit of juice and eat a tiny little piece of bread. Why do you do that? No big deal. How many has ever ate like a big, huge steak before and you bragged about it? Yeah, I ate that whole thing. That was an accomplishment. It is no accomplishment taking that little bit of the Lord's Supper. It's simple and it's convenient. And it should be. Because salvation is simple. Why? Because Jesus did the hard part. And that it, it makes more sense that we would do it in such a simple, convenient way because I believe that helps get the message of what it is. The simplicity of these two things. It's a reminder of how our salvation has nothing to do with works, but everything to do with the work of Christ. And so we're going to keep these things until Jesus comes back. And so with that, let's all stand together.